0: Welcome to Nomadicate, a podcast all about exploring how different cultures, things, ideas, and even people shape and define our lives and our world. You're listening to your host, Katie DeVille, and today we're talking about the very thing that inspired this entire podcast and something I'm very passionate about. Today we're talking about travel. More specifically, we're talking about our human right to travel and the beauty of human migration. In this episode, I'll be sharing what jump started my travels and what they've taught me. We'll look back into our species and our human ancestors' history of global migration, as well as take a listen to some brilliant minds as they recount their travel experiences. Finally, we'll dive into the current relevance of human migration. My fascination with other cultures started young and with National Geographic. I grew up in the countryside of Southeast Louisiana, and there's not much cultural diversity over there. The first time I realized there were other people groups in different parts of the world, living very different lives than the one I was living, was when I was about 7 years old. And it all started with a photography book. This book had been laying around our house, and I saw on the cover there was this girl. Her hair and her shoulders were draped with a rusty red scarf, her countenance was serious, frightened, and to a degree, somewhat possessed or dangerous, and her eyes were an explosive and piercing blue-green, staring straight into the camera lens. Later, I would come to know this world-famous photograph as the Afghan girl, taken in 1984 by photojournalist Steve McCurry. The world later identified this girl in 2002 as Shrabat Gula, and at the time of the photograph, Gula was around the age of 12. Mercury shot this image during the Soviet-Afghan War at a refugee camp in Peshawar, a city in Pakistan near the Afghanistan border. Now in her 50s, Gula has faced extreme difficulties as a migrant, fleeing war-torn Afghanistan like millions of others, losing family members due to poor access to healthcare, and being arrested by Pakistani officials in 2016 for having illegal documentation. Due to her international recognition from the National Geographic image, which has been both a blessing and a curse, according to Gula, she received international aid and evacuated to Italy in 2021. Seeing her photograph on the cover of that book led me to flipping through the many National Geographic magazines in my house and sparked this insatiable interest in her world history, different people groups around the globe, and where we're heading as a species. My mom also had the rare opportunity to live in Asia as a teenager, so hearing all of her stories fed this desire to step beyond my front yard, my hometown, my state, and my country. And while there are many places on my bucket list to visit, I've been lucky enough to travel to nine different countries. And when I had the opportunity to study abroad in France during 2019, which was the first time I left the country, I darted. I'd fantasized about travel throughout the years, and I couldn't wait to explore a large chunk of the world, Western Europe, solo. It was a symbol of my newfound independence, my first taste of ultimate freedom, and a rich period of enormous personal growth. Looking back, mistakes were definitely made during my travels, but they taught me how to travel smarter. We'll talk about my blunders a little later on in the episode. But the pandemic put everyone in a hibernation mode. And with other life events since study abroad, which was by far one of the most life defining moments in my life, I've been pretty homebound. But there's light at the end of the tunnel. For the first time in years, I'm planning a major trip to India and Southeast Asia in February. And it's hard to believe it's happening. I've wanted to visit India for probably over a decade and I finally have the chance to do that in a meaningful way by volunteering at a children's school in southern India as a media volunteer. While many things could prevent that trip from happening, no telling what is ever going to happen in life and in the world, I'm excited for this opportunity and hopefully my future travels will spark an exciting second season of Nomadicate. At the end of the episode, I'll give you a little sneak peek into my podcast plans. But since I have booked this trip to India, it's made me reminisce about my past travels and reflect on what travel has meant to me and humanity. So without any further ado, let's dive into the episode. So what makes travel such a large part of the human experience? Travel is a human right, and it's experienced on a spectrum The word travel is kind of laced with an insinuation of privilege, and people will often think of travelers, depending on what type of traveler you are, as having adequate to abundant financial and physical freedom. And it's true. There's a privilege that comes with traveling for pleasure. Unfortunately, the majority of people can't afford to take time off from work or may have familial responsibilities that tie them down to one place. So, on one side of the spectrum, we have people that experience travel for pleasure, for personal growth per se. These people can be loosely referred to as travelers, nomads, or tourists. On the other side of the spectrum, however, we have people who travel for necessity, oftentimes fleeing violence and seeking better social and economic opportunities abroad. Think of Sharbat Gula, the Afghan girl. These people are often referred to as migrants, immigrants, or refugees. Society often refers to this kind of travel as migration. Whether you're traveling to expand your understanding of the world, to escape a hostile environment, or seek better opportunities, the freedom of movement is a theoretical given right, even though it may not be practical for most people. The freedom of movement is a well developed concept in international law, and it's even talked about in the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Article 13 of the Declaration states that number one, everyone has the right to freedom of movement and residence within the borders of each state. Number two, everyone has the right to leave any country, including his own, and to return to his country. This right is born out of humans' innate desire to pursue more secure and prosperous environments, explore the unknown, and satisfy our curiosity. Our prehistoric ancestors have been traveling for arguably millions of years. Our current species, Homo sapiens, most likely started expanding out of Africa close to 200,000 years ago. Africa was the hotspot of human evolution, and around 9.3 to 6.5 million years ago, genetic mutations caused a lineage split between modern humans and modern chimpanzees. At one point, we had a common ancestor, and a variety of factors such as climate change and dietary changes, for example, could have caused genetic mutations to occur leading to this divergence. I think one common misconception that people have about human evolution is that… People think that people originated from monkeys, and I kinda get it. We have that famous picture of what appears to be a chimp gradually morphing into a walking man. That's a little misleading. All that picture is trying to show is that there was an early ancestor that had ape-like features. We didn't come from chimps. In fact, chimps are just as highly evolved as we are, but in the constraints of their own species. But since our split with chimps, there's been an explosion of hominins over the course of millions of years, slowly but surely undergoing evolutionary changes, helping them prepare to walk out of Africa and disperse across the world. Hominin, according to the Australian Museum article, Hominid in Hominin, What's the Difference?, refers to the group consisting of modern humans' immediate ancestors, extinct human species, and Homo sapiens, which are us, modern humans. Since around 7 million years ago, scientists believe there have been roughly 20 different species of early humans, which can be broken down into several main groups, early hominins, australopithecines, and Homo genus, which is our genus. We'll talk about what a genus is later on, but the majority of these species went extinct. Obviously, we don't have these human-like creatures walking around, but some of these species may have been humans' direct ancestors. The National Geographic YouTube video, Human Origins 101, breaks this down really well. I'll leave a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. One key feature about being human is that we have the ability to walk on two legs, also known as bipedalism. Since early hominins and australopithecines had this capability millions of years ago, maybe their descendants from the trees mark the first accounts of early human migration, as they potentially traveled throughout East, Central, and South Africa in search for food in the midst of a changing climate, or whatever factors that made them expand outwards and search for better opportunities. But large-scale human migration didn't start until our genus, Homo, a genus is a category in a biological taxonomic rating system that groups organisms by shared traits. Species sharing similar traits comprise a genus, and there have been quite a few species, most of which went extinct, that fall under this classification of Homo. These shared traits, which may have really enabled their expansion out of Africa, include, of course, bipedalism, a habitually erect posture, meaning they stood up straight on a regular basis opposable thumbs, meaning they could move their thumbs around, the ability to make precision tools, larger cranial capacities, meaning they relatively had larger brains, and strong and dexterous hands. Some other species besides Homo sapiens that are worth mentioning within our genus are Homo erectus, Homo heidelbergensis, Neanderthals, and Homo floresiensis. While not all of these species, such as Neanderthals and Homo floresiensis, are our direct ancestors, all of these species were found outside of Africa. Scientists believe Homo erectus, which is one of our direct ancestors, was one of the first to venture beyond the African continent into Western and Eastern Asia, as well as Indonesia. Some evidence even suggests that they made it to Europe. Fossils found in South Africa date Homo erectus back to as early as 2 million years ago, and fossils found in Western Asia, more specifically Domenice, Georgia, potentially mark this species' international debut. The fossils are approximately 1.8 million years old, according to the Natural History Museum article, Homo erectus, our ancient ancestor. The Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History suggests that Homo erectus coexisted with Homo sapiens, although just in different locations, with one still being in Africa and the other one being in Asia. Around 108,000 to 117,000 years ago, Homo erectus went extinct. Although I really, really want to talk about other species like Homo floresiensis, which was a really fascinating hobbit-like early human that went extinct fairly recently, I think it's probably better if I focus on our own species migration. Homo sapiens came into the picture around 300,000 years ago, starting in Africa, According to the Australian Museum's article, The First Migrations Out of Africa, genetic studies suggest that our species started dispersing into other parts of the world as early as 220,000 years ago. The oldest Homo sapien fossils found were discovered in Israeli caves dating back to 180,000 years ago, Stone tools unearthed in India, Yemen, and the United Arab Emirates suggest that modern humans occupied these areas within a period of 70 to 80,000 years ago. While our species were already on the move, mass migration is thought to only have occurred around 60,000 years ago. It's mind-blowing to think about how, within these past 300,000 years, humans have spread across the world. After expanding into Asia, Homo sapiens went on to inhabit Australia and nearby areas around 50,000 years ago, and then migrated into Europe around 40,000 years ago. New evidence suggests that humans began arriving in the Americas around 30,000 years ago. If you'd like to check out a map of modern humans' migration, I recommend watching PBS Eon's YouTube video, When We Took Over the World, linked in the show notes. It's ironic to me, then, that the restless desire to move around or travel is seen by society as a bizarre or rare quality to have in a person. It's not only a trait of our species, but it's a trait of our genus. Humans only started to settle down around 10 to 15,000 years ago, creating settlements and agriculture. When compared to our ancestors' extremely ancient history of migration, it seems unnatural for people to stay in one place for too long, our evolution suggests that having a desire to travel comes less from frivolity, but from our innate need to secure the best possible environment and outcomes. Our ancestors' initial migration was likely sparked from our need to seek better resources, but as society began to form and we began growing crops, our fundamental needs were often met. However, since it seems that humans are hardwired to travel, at least in my opinion, we still possess the desire to push beyond our territorial boundaries. Maybe instead of traveling to survive, we began traveling to conquer and satisfy personal needs in relation to society, the need for wealth, power, and glory. While travel is experienced somewhere in between leisure and necessity, human evolution in our history of migration does seem to suggest the desire to travel is actually an unmet need in disguise. But before diving deeper into this, I wanted to shine the spotlight on some fellow nomads. Throughout the years, fate has led me to meet some extremely smart, kind, and forward-thinking people. Luckily enough, some of these people have become my really good friends, and I'm so excited to share some of their travel experiences on the podcast today. They were kind enough to send an audio file sharing what travel has meant to them, and their responses have brought me so much joy, I cannot tell you, and such a sense of community. I recorded the podcast before hearing their responses, so it's really cool hearing where we have shared ground without even discussing anything beforehand. On a side note, I'm so impressed with how many places my fellow female travelers have been and their solo endeavors. Anyway, without any further ado, let's hear what they have to say.
1: Hi, my name is Jasmine Edmondson. I'm a strategic communication professional living in Houston, Texas, and I have visited over 10 countries, all in Europe, and I hope to um, eventually visit other countries in Europe, but also countries on other continents, including um, Asia, Africa, and Australia. The reason why I decided to travel internationally is because I think that traveling is the best way to really learn about the world because you are immersing yourself in environments that you've never ever experienced before in which you are connecting with people who aren't like you and so it broadens your perspective on things and also in addition to broadening your perspective on things it also allows you to realize that Even though we come from different cultural backgrounds, we're also all the same. And one experience that really taught me that was when I went to Croatia, specifically Split Croatia, which is in Eastern Europe. I was supposed to go with my friend and how I found out about Split Croatia is when I was a student at LSU, when I um, was an undergrad, I took Zumba classes over the summer and my Zumba instructor, she would always just have so much passion and wonderful music and so Being a journalism student at the Manship School at LSU, I had to do an assignment where I had to interview someone who had an interesting job. And so I interviewed my Zumba instructor and I asked her, what got you interested in Zumba? And she told me that she visited Split Croatia with her boyfriend and fell in love with Zumba because Zumba is really big there. And then she showed me pictures of um, Split Croatia and I just fell in love with how it looked. And it just seemed like a fun place to go. And so I was supposed to go there with my friend when I studied abroad at Sussex in Brighton, England, uh, the University of Sussex in Brighton, England. But something happened in which my friend couldn't go. So I had to make the decision, do I want to, for the first time ever, actually travel um, on my own? Or do I want to just stay in England? And I decided to take that risk and Traveled to this country that I've only heard about from my Zumba instructor on my own. And it was the best decision that I ever made because even though I traveled to other places while I was abroad, this was the first time that I was fully immersed in the culture and I really got to see how the locals just do their day-to-day activities. It, It just really felt for the first time like I was actually experiencing foreign terrain and growing as an individual and I was on my own and so I got to decide my itinerary where I wanted to go what did I wanted to you know explore for that day and I ended up going to a lot of museums and experiencing the local cuisine and the music and the people it was so vibrant and beautiful and I also met a really good friend there who was originally um, from Argentina but she was a stud- she was studying abroad in Paris and so we met up later on so if I would have never went there I would have wouldn't have met her and I wouldn't have had someone to meet up with when I went to Paris. So I highly recommend traveling if you really want to just grow as an individual. Um, Yeah, it's the best thing to do.
0: First of all, Jasmine, thank you so much for your response. I hope you're doing fantastic in Houston and I hope that you let me come crash on your sofa soon because I really wanna visit you. You said that when you were traveling, you notice how we're all the same. That's something you really do notice when you start traveling. And I talked about this in my own personal response later in the episode, so thanks for pointing that out. I also really love how you decided to take that risk and travel by yourself. Life demands that we make these quick decisions sometimes, and if you go with the risk, it really can pay off, especially with solo travel. It's not as dangerous as it seems, and if you're careful, you can really gain a lot of unique, safe experiences. Okay, so on to the next fellow nomad, a fellow world traveler. Let's take a listen.
2: Hi, my name is Rachel Martin. I live in Los Angeles, California, and I'm a software engineer. I counted it up and I think I've been to 16 countries, which sounds like a lot, but I think I got it right. And I found that the best trips I've taken and the best part of travel to me is being able to connect with others and see see a different place with friends or family and get to know something about the other person as well through that place. I find the most impactful trips have been either visiting a place that holds significance for me and the friend that's there or visiting a friend's hometown or meeting their family, seeing the house they grew up in. I think being able to put myself in someone else's shoes where their shoes are, where they grew up, has been a really good way to get to know someone deeper and understand themselves and where they're coming from. So I found that a lot of fun. And same with traveling abroad when I've been able to visit a place that holds a significance for the history of that place or myself or the person I'm with. Um, I find that the most interesting to talk to people that have either had family there or had something significant happen to themselves or their family in that place. I just find it really fun to be able to share that memory with them and have something to talk about in the future. Wow, Rachel, I didn't realize that you've been to
0: 16 countries. That's absolutely incredible. Thanks so much for sharing your experience. I loved how you put an emphasis on traveling and connecting with others, and by being in a certain place, you can learn more about who you're with. Intentionality is really important when deciding on where to go next, and thinking about how a place relates and holds significance to yourself and others can really enrich the experience. I can't wait for you to come visit New Orleans soon so I can see you. Maybe if you have enough time, I can steal you away and show you Southeast Louisiana, which is where I'm from. Alright, so on to the next
3: world traveler. Hi, I'm Victoria Goff and I'm a landscape architect currently in my hometown Baton Rouge for the holidays. It's really crazy to think if I told my 18 year old self that in 10 years I'd be solo traveling the world as a remote landscape architect. I would probably laugh and say no way that's possible but anything is possible if you set your mind to something. You can create whatever reality you want no matter how impossible it may sound. You just need confidence to surrender and let go of what no longer serves you. Fast forward to today I've been on the road traveling for a year and a half now and been to over 15 countries in my life. I like to travel at a slow pace, really indulge in the culture, connect with community, and find solitude within myself. I stay in local villages and stay out of the touristy areas. I make no plans or reservations in advance and just let each day guide me to the next. Because you never know who you're going to meet or where other travelers may suggest where to go. And if you plan too far in advance, you may not get the opportunity to hop on the back of a scooter to the Tirono jungle of Colombia with a badass female jazz singer you met at the vinyl bar the night before. And by living for each day, that's why it's humbling. I travel slow two to three months in one country with volunteering. I'm able to give back whether it's permaculture retreat centers, artist residencies, or teaching English. When you immerse yourself with locals You learn to honor and respect their local traditions. It defines who they are today, and you get to be a part of that story. Being able to travel as a solo female has been the most liberating thing I have ever done. And to be able to design while traveling, it's a dream come true. I'm so passionate about both, and it was important for me to find a way to create that reality. Solo travel has also taught me to be present, And open to what life throws at you. Because it is scary as hell sometimes. You go to bus stations where you don't speak the language. And you have to navigate your way to the next town on your own. You may get sick from street food. Or lose your bag with all your clothes in it. But you always find a way through it. Because you're strong and resilient. You learn acceptance. If you accept fear and uncertainty, you will reach peace. When you go to a new country, you're going into the unknown zone. And you may be terrified, but that feeling means that you're alive and you're living and you're doing it. You're getting out of your comfort zone and you're going to discover incredible things about yourself you never once knew. So take the scariest route. It will be more meaningful. You're not alone and you will learn so much on this self-discovery journey.
0: Wow, Victoria, so, so many powerful statements in there, especially needing the confidence to surrender. When you're traveling solo, you have to trust yourself more than the situation. Like you said, solo travel has taught you to be present and open to what life throws at you, and for sure, life does throw things at us, and it's important for us to have that confidence and say to ourselves, I'll be able to deal with it no matter what. Also, I very much agree about traveling without plans or reservations. The best adventures are the ones that you get yourself into at the last minute. So, cheers! Alright, so on to the next world traveler, let's welcome Orestes.
4: Hi, my name is Orestes. I grew up in Greece, but I've lived in the US for the past 10 years, where I work as a software engineer and composer for film and games. Growing up, my parents and I traveled every summer within Greece to get out of Athens, which is a big city, and we went to the countryside. This was almost always the highlight of the year for me, and most kids my age, really. And we had almost complete freedom compared to the rest of the year. These small beachside cities in Greece are extremely safe, and we couldn't wander anywhere we wanted without supervision. Usually, we spent most of the day at or near the beach and nights in the town, eating and hanging out with uh, friends at the town square. As I got older, I still traveled within Greece most summers, but with groups of friends instead of my family. Those were also very formative travel experiences, again, mostly for the freedom they allowed, and the safe exploration of the real world we could start on our own. While all of this was within a few hours of Athens, it would not have been possible without travel, really. It allowed me to be in a safer, slower, and less complex environment, where I could unknowingly develop myself and build real-world skills while having nothing but fun. My parents also occasionally took us to short trips abroad. I visited seven countries before I was 18, four with my parents and one with friends and two with my school. Those were very different experiences. Uh, They were very condensed but very valuable in a different way, mostly from an educational and inspirational perspective. My favorite was probably uh, one of my earlier trips with my parents uh, where we went to Egypt for a few days. It was absolutely mind-blowing to see the pyramids and the Sphinx in person and even going inside one. Um, I'm still not really sure what I took from that trip exactly, but probably a sense of awe for what humans can achieve and a respect for other cultures. So at age 18, I moved to the US for college. And since then, most of my travel has been to visit friends and family in Greece or back in the US. Living in the US and also spending three months living in Austria for a study abroad program taught me that short and long trips are completely different experiences. I think you can't really experience a place unless you spend about a month in it or ideally more. Make some local friends, maybe learn a bit of the language if you don't know it, or visit a normal residential neighborhood outside of the tourist areas, find some secret spots. Of course, I understand that's completely impractical from a time and money perspective for most people, but if you have the chance to take a long trip somewhere or even move abroad for a period of time, I'd say take it. And. On a similar note, I see a lot of Americans especially make that mistake, or at least what I think is a mistake, when they visit Europe. They try to fit like four European countries in five days, or three Greek islands in four days, something like that, rather than picking one and exploring a bit more deeply. And there's, of course there's value to that kind of travel, but I think it's worth thinking about if you're gonna spend so much money traveling all over Europe in a short amount of time, what if, because it does cost more to do that, What if you instead took a longer trip and explored a single place, or even a single city, more deeply?
0: Orestes, it was so great hearing from you, and I really enjoyed learning about your childhood experiences traveling within Greece. One thing that really does stand out to me is how early you did start traveling, and I think it's amazing that you had the chance to visit seven countries before you were 18. I think the traveling mindset is more embedded into the larger European culture, and I sincerely wish that was the case for the US. We're isolated in many ways from different parts of the world, and I think that if we were able to explore different cultures abroad early on, it would really help us become more tolerant and inquisitive as a society overall. Also, thank you for emphasizing slow travel. I totally agree that traveling slower is better for a variety of reasons, and I'll actually talk about that a little bit more in my personal response later in the episode. And for our last but not least fellow nomad, we have Shay Pridgeon.
5: Hello. Uh, my name is Shay Pridgin from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm currently in sales. Um, train people with entrepreneurship and running a business, things like that. I'm also in the military, both of which have involved a fair amount of traveling in my life and just a little bit about like what travel has meant to me. Um, I can definitely talk about this topic forever, but I'll, I'll try to keep it short. I think I grew up in a very closed minded area, um, you know, uh, very low income around a bunch of other low income people. But every summer I had the opportunity to leave my mom's and go to my dad's cause they were split up. And in that, in that occasion, every single year, I would learn something new. I'd get to go to a different state, like whether it be Georgia or Florida or wherever he was at the time, And it made a big difference for me because most of the friends that didn't have the opportunity to leave the area I grew up in are not doing really well right now, not doing the greatest in life, maybe are on some doing drug use, things like that, just on a very different journey. And I think travel in that sense has saved my life. Um, It's very much been a perspective switch for me. Moved schools a couple times in high school. It was very shell shocking, but very... Uh, Eye-opening and and helping helped my mind open to the different possibilities of the type of person I could be And so I think travel has played a huge role in my development as a human because the more Experiences and cultures and ideas that you are exposed to the more you can find yourself The more you can find what you like what you want to incorporate into you And it helps you also helps you be more open-minded to the people around you and the decisions that they make because you become more aware of how different upbringings change perspectives which then influence decisions and whether it makes sense to you or not you can just accept that it it was justified in their mind you know it kind of helps you be open-minded to a lot more um if there's any advice i could give people For traveling, or anyone who's thinking about like getting out there or taking their first big experience, um, the only advice would be just do it, just do it. You'll never feel perfectly ready, and frankly, you don't have to. I mean, I've been to Peru twice, I've been to Colombia, I've been to Hong Kong, I've been to Wuhan, China, I've been to Mexico five times, I've been all over the U.S. to almost every single state, and most of those experiences, like I'm not a very planning oriented person, very much someone who just like off the cuff will get in my car and go and it works out every time. You'll always figure it out. you just talk to people, go experience new things and you get better and better. My first trip to Colombia, I just saw a ticket online that said $99 flight to Colombia put it on my calendar, and I went there. And I had a blast. I learned so much about the culture, the people, you know, everything. And it, and it was completely unplanned. It was completely spontaneous. So just do it. You'll learn a lot. You'll gain a lot. And at the end of the day, the worst that can happen is you, you got a new experience. You're back home and, you know, maybe you missed that one excursion you could have did while you're there. But You know, it would have have taken away from a lot of the experience of meeting people and asking questions and figuring stuff out. So I think travel has meant a ton to me. Like I said, I could could talk about this forever. It's literally shaped the person I am and changed the outcome of my life based on just, you know, stuff even in my childhood. Not only now and what's helped me develop into the person that I am. So thanks, Katie, for the opportunity to do this. (laughs) Appreciate it. See you soon.
0: Shay, there are a few points in your response that I really liked. First of all, thank you for sharing your experiences. Secondly, you said that travel has played a role in your development as a human. You also said along the lines of, the more experiences, cultures, and ideas you're exposed to, the more you find yourself. I found that to be particularly true in my case. Travel has almost been a spiritual journey. And I think that the common narrative around travel is that it changes your perspective about the world, which is 100% true. But it also changes you fundamentally as a person, first and foremost. And it also changes your perspective of yourself. So I'm really grateful you touched on that. And travel does have a way of making us more open-minded. And it's not just through international travel, which you kind of alluded to. Now that I'm thinking about it, traveling within the U.S. is kind of underrated, because we do have a lot of different cultures in different parts of the country, and even within the same state. California culture is so, so different from Louisiana culture, and if you're from the U.S. like I am, it's easy to not pay attention to. But it is important to be aware of because we can gain a lot of understanding of a person or people group by just getting to know their background and culture a little bit better. Thank you so much to everyone who sent in a response. I appreciate the time that you took to do this, and I think it's really good to share these experiences because we can learn from each other and we can see where we have common experiences. In the next part of the episode, I'll be sharing what my travels have meant to me personally, and what they've taught me, and then we'll discuss current human migration to wrap everything up. There's no replacement for travel. You can't fully experience what a place or a culture is truly like unless you're there. Navigating the landscape or city, interacting with the people, learning their customs, and best of all, eating their food. Travel has the ability to shock us back to life, and, in a way, it helps us be born again. When you travel, you have to adapt. Like a kid learning how to speak and alter behavior according to social norms, the traveler has a chance to see the world with a fresh pair of eyes, and experience not only the world from a new perspective, but experience themselves in a new way in relation to the culture they're immersed in. As a kid, and we all experience this, I had so many first. New activities, animals, plants, and random objects completely amazed me because I was experiencing them for the first time. But as I got older, my life started to become less interesting as a result of experiencing those things over and over again. By the time we're in our late teens, we start to develop some pretty strong habits, we get used to our surroundings, and we stop noticing the beauty and the details in the world. Our focus shifts inward instead of outward with age. Over time, the vibrant, sensory life we once experienced as kids often dies away, and our life can become mundane. Maybe this isn't everyone's experience, but it's definitely mine. This is why travel is so important to me on a personal, very selfish level. Travel heightens our awareness about life in general and helps us appreciate its beauty again. The moment I set foot in Europe during study abroad, I felt a deep satisfaction and a peaceful yet exciting awakening. Because I was in a new place, it forced me out of my head. Our bodies have a way of shifting our focus outwards when we're in a new environment, as our heightened awareness helps us identify potential danger and react accordingly. This is what I experienced during my travels. My heightened awareness helped me pay attention to the most random things I would have otherwise ignored back in Louisiana. People became art. I would notice their eyes and the soul behind them, the lines in their face, their mannerisms, and their clothes. Their entire being reflected not only their personality, but a slice of the culture they were raised in. Buildings weren't just buildings anymore. They were often symbols of history and realized visions of brilliant minds. And streets seemed to invite me to explore the nooks and crannies of the city, hiding museums, cafes, and shops painting a picture of the local culture. Food became an adventure. Other side effects of travel are heightened compassion and empathy. Strangers become less strange because when we travel, we find things that bind us together, not pull us apart. As a foreigner, we need the help of locals for a variety of reasons, whether that's getting directions or getting recommendations on where to eat. Throughout my travels, I found myself not only wanting to connect deeper with people, but noticing the commonalities that we do share as a species. No matter who you are or where you come from, suffering is found everywhere to different degrees. Most everyone wants to love, and everyone is seeking their definition of safety and peace. Cultural differences obviously do exist, and sometimes they can be a barrier in connecting with others, but I found the differences extremely interesting and even beautiful, For example, when I was in France, it was fairly difficult making French friends. Americans in general are so extroverted, and even though I'm an introvert, I was so enthusiastic to be there and, as a result, outgoing. I think this can come across as fake or obnoxious to a lot of European cultures. And the French are typically more reserved and formal. So my eager approach was not always warmly welcomed. However, I found that cultural differences like these are beautiful because it helps us put our own culture into a larger global context. I think when we travel, there are a lot of subconscious expectations about how we should be treated or how things should go, and not having those expectations met can be good for us. Having some cultural friction makes us question our own intentions, belief systems, and behavior, and it also helps us grow respect for others' way of life. It decentralizes us from our own ego and separates us from our own culture. In other words, it's humbling, which is good. So, like I mentioned earlier, I think the desire to travel actually stems from unmet needs. This is why our ancestors migrated in the first place, but we live in a very different world than our ancestors did, say, 15,000 years ago. Most of us have perpetual access to water, food, and shelter, but since society has continued to grow increasingly complex, we've developed other needs, mainly emotional and social. Sure, maybe we won't die if these needs are unmet, but if not satisfied, they could drastically affect our quality of life. My travels in Europe were inspired by a variety of unmet emotional and social needs. Not only did I have this fantasy about travel, but the United States just wasn't doing it for me. It didn't align with my core values, and in many ways, it still doesn't. In my opinion, the United States is very unsustainable as a society. We're overworked, we're over-materialistic, we undervalue education, and we have a very poor social safety net. Personally, besides the need to satisfy my curiosity, I needed to get into a larger culture that aligned more with those values. I found that France and many other European countries valued the things that I also thought were important, like the appreciation of art and knowledge, more leisure time, deeper and more authentic connections to friends, and an awareness about the environment. After spending some time in Europe, A lot of those needs were satisfied, and when I came back to the States, I found myself in an almost nearly constant state of agitation, as I had to semi-adapt back to a culture that doesn't totally share those values. As I was experiencing reverse culture shock, I remember being pretty judgmental about Louisiana and America in general. While I'm still judgmental about my own culture, and I know there are a lot of better ways of doing things... I think I've been able to harness more of that compassion that I was talking about earlier and apply it to where I'm living. Louisiana is just another culture in the world's tapestry, filled with both faults and beauty. On a more personal note, I was also just at a time in my life where I needed to become more independent. Looking back, I didn't need to move across the entire Atlantic to do that, but Europe was definitely a great playground to explore that side of myself. I'm curious to know if you agree that the desire to travel stems from unmet needs. Shoot me a message via nomadicate.com or DM me on Instagram at nomadicate underscore podcast. Travel is and should be uncomfortable by nature. It's hard planning a trip, boarding planes, finding lodging, and navigating through a different culture. Even if you're flying first class, staying in five-star hotels and eating at five-star restaurants. In that case, you're traveling wrong. It's nice to be that pampered, but that kind of travel is low level travel. High quality travel is about getting down to basics so you can experience authentic local life, not some idealized version of that culture that you dreamed up in your head. The best travel that I experienced was while I was staying at hostels, hopping on and off trains and meandering around cities on foot in search of local markets and cafes. But the harsh reality of travel which is often not portrayed on Instagram Reels and YouTube videos, is this. It's hard, sometimes lonely, sometimes scary, and you will make mistakes. No ifs, no buts. Mistakes will happen, and that's okay. Mistakes, if we're receptive enough, are the best lessons. They can teach us how to travel smarter and connect deeper to life. And they can give us some insight into our own personality, ego, and own shortcomings. So, I wanted to rattle myself and share a few of my own mistakes that I made while traveling, so maybe you can avoid my mistakes and make mistakes unique to you. In any case, I hope the following helps you have a fuller, more positive travel experience. The first mistake I made, which is a byproduct of being young, was being hyper-independent. When I left for France, I was 20 years old. And until that point, I had limited experiences by myself. I had never really stayed away from home. So by the time I left to study abroad, I was ready to rock and roll. I had this enormous, persistent, and now looking back, freakishly obnoxious determination to prove to everyone and myself that I could travel alone and be independent of anyone and everything. And I did. I traveled completely by myself to around six countries And I have to admit, I'm still proud of myself for successfully doing that because it was hard. And I recommend that people travel solo at least once in their lifetime for a few reasons. Number one, you meet yourself. There's no one around to influence your decisions or ideas. So, in a way, you get to hear your thoughts for the first time, especially when you experience new ideas and obstacles. You develop an opinion unique to you and your experiences, and you also build expertise as you find solutions to challenges. Number two, you have complete autonomy over what you want to do. You always have the first pick in any activity you want to try and whatever food you want to eat. Number three, you realize that life isn't beautiful without the context of others, mainly family, but also friends and strangers. The third point is the most important. Life is best experienced when experienced with the right people. While I don't regret being hyper-independent and traveling alone because of the lessons I did learn, I can't deny that my hyper-independence hindered my ability to fully experience life during that time. When I was at the European Court of Human Rights on a field trip in France, I heard a speaker talk about this. He said, The point of life isn't to arrive alone and early, but to arrive together and on time this really stuck with me. Humans are social creatures, and when our species began migrating across the world, they weren't doing it alone. Most of the time, they were doing it in small to large groups. I confused independence with self-agency, and I missed out on a lot of experiences with my classmates abroad, planning and going on trips, experiencing new things through their eyes, and just hanging out with them. As I continue my travels, I'm really looking forward to traveling more with others, my family, my friends, and randos I meet on the road. This doesn't mean you shouldn't be selective with who you travel with. Traveling with people who don't share your traveling style and goals can be a unique kind of hell, so be careful about that. But also, don't let your need for independence, especially if you're young, shut you off to experiencing life with others. If I were to do it again, I would have still taken my solo trips, but I would have also made more space and time to travel with others. My second mistake was being overly cautious. Because it was my first time being truly independent and being away from home, I felt a lot of pressure to not screw up and just keep myself alive and well. Female solo travelers are also hyper-aware of danger, as we should be, but I think it's important to learn how to trust yourself enough to make good decisions about people and then in turn, trust others enough to at least have a conversation with them. I let my fear stop me from connecting deeper with people. Obviously, use good discernment, set boundaries, and always trust your gut. Always, always, always trust your gut. But I do regret not going out with people I met at hostels who, looking back, were safe, nurturing those relationships, and striking up conversations with strangers during my travels. My third most significant mistake was traveling too fast, which is so, so easy to do, especially if you're in a new place and you feel like you have to see everything before you leave because you don't know when you're going to get back there again. But at the time, I was very serious about school and I didn't want to miss any classes, which looking back was a mistake in itself because once you graduate, you realize how little grades truly matter unless you're planning to go to graduate school. Anyway, I took school way too seriously, and while my friends were making all these wonderful trips throughout the semester, usually during the week, I chose to do pretty much all of my traveling within a two-week school break. I felt the need to see as much as I possibly could since I didn't know when I was going to get back to Europe, but having this mindset came at a cost. Getting to and from airports and train stations, finding lodging, and planning activities is mentally and physically taxing. Going forward, I plan to travel slower, picking certain areas and sticking there for at least a week, most likely two weeks. Since I'm not in school, this is going to be easier to do, I think. But slow travel is better for a few reasons. You can get more bang for your buck, The money that you would spend on plane tickets can be redirected towards eating local food and going on local excursions, for example. When you spend more time in one spot, it also gives you the opportunity to connect deeper with the history and culture of that place. This episode would be incomplete without talking about current human migration. Migration has always been a hot topic of debate. But with the massive displacement of persons in Ukraine, Syria, Yemen, and Palestine throughout the years and up to today and into the future, I think it's really important that we open our eyes to what migrant, immigrant, and refugee populations bring to society. Unhospitable and often devastating factors, such as climate change and conflict, have been pushing our species and our human ancestors farther and farther away from their home bases For hundreds of thousands of years to millions of years out of necessity. Unfortunately, these malicious factors are still at play, forcing millions of people to leave their homelands into new territories. These populations are often met with resistance from local communities and experience prejudice. While I separated terms like traveler, nomad, and tourist, from terms such as migrant, immigrant, and refugee, to illustrate the gap between traveling for leisure and traveling for absolute necessity, they often have overlap. All of these terms fall loosely under human migration, because human migration is defined by the New World Encyclopedia as any movement by human beings from one locality to another, often long distances, or in large groups. Migrants and immigrants while often seeking better opportunities abroad, aren't necessarily fleeing violence or dire conditions, and often migrate by choice. Refugees, on the other hand, have little choice, and often migrate due to extreme social or economic hardships. In any case, migrants, immigrants, and refugees bring a profound richness to their host countries. However, before talking about what these populations do bring to the world— let's break down the terms migrant, immigrant, and refugee. According to the International Rescue Committee, a migrant is a person who moves from place to place, either domestic or international, usually to seek better economic opportunities. Their stay can either be permanent or temporary. Similar to a migrant, an immigrant often leaves their home country by choice, seeking better opportunities, However, migrants usually intend to settle long-term in their host country, location. They tend to do extensive research about their host country and usually go through an extensive vetting process in order to migrate. They often become legal permanent residents and even citizens. Lastly, they are free to return home at any time. Refugees don't have the luxury of choice, and unlike migrants and immigrants, they can't return to their home country whenever they want. The UNHCR, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, reported that by the end of 2022, 108.4 million people were forcibly displaced due to persecution, conflict, human rights violations, and violence. 35.3 million of these people were refugees. Well-founded fear is a main determining factor on whether or not a person can receive refugee status. Migration is on the rise, and since tensions can build as different groups interact with one another, I think it's extremely important to understand what migratory populations offer to their host communities economically, creatively, and socially. These populations have grit, which is possibly the most useful trait to have in order to succeed in life. People who migrate have remarkable courage and determination to leave what's familiar to them and create a new life in a different place. These qualities are the bedrock of a productive and economically thriving society. And these populations not only carry their weight, but they contribute to society's economic vitality over time. Let's focus on refugees. According to the nonprofit organization Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service, there's a short-term initial cost that host countries incur after receiving refugees. These costs are related to healthcare, housing, and other necessary things to help them get established. However, the long-term economic benefits far outweigh the short-term cost, as studies have shown that refugees drive innovation, stimulate the economy, raise productivity, contribute to tax revenue, and boost international trade due to their connections abroad. For example, From 2005 to 2014, the United States federal government spent around $206 billion on refugees. However, over the course of that same period, refugees contributed over $269 billion in tax revenue to local, state, and federal entities. This means refugees contributed to a $63 billion net positive economic tax. Refugees, among migrants and immigrants, also have fine entrepreneurial abilities. The organization reports that the United States was home to more than 180,000 refugee entrepreneurs in 2015. That means that 13% of refugees were entrepreneurs during that year, compared to just the 11.5% of non-refugee immigrants and 9% of the U.S.-born population. The businesses of refugees also generated $4.6 billion in business income that year. On a side note, one study reported by MIT showed that immigrants are about 80% more likely to establish a firm compared to U.S.-born citizens. On average, immigrant-founded firms slightly employ more people compared to U.S. natives. Apart from starting businesses, refugees are also able to fill in gaps in the job market Often taking jobs in industries such as manufacturing, healthcare, tourism, transportation, and education. Countries, such as the United States, often struggle with labor shortages, so refugees can really help ease this problem. Besides the clear economic advantage, migratory populations foster creativity and cross cultural understanding. They often carry multi generational wisdom and long held traditions from their own cultures. This can infuse their host country with new ways of thinking and doing things, sparking innovation. We all come from a line of migrants or refugees, and without human migration, the world would be a very different and boring place. With that being said, that wraps up the first season of Nomadicate. I want to thank all my listeners for your support and interest. This podcast has meant so much to me. And I truly hope these episodes have benefited you in some way. Like I've mentioned, my next trip is taking me to Southeast Asia in February. I'll be backpacking for a few months, and although I don't know how feasible it will be to continue my podcast, I do have plans on returning and launching a second season of Nomadicate in the late spring of next year. Until then, I'm going to spend the next few months preparing for my trip and staying as present as possible with my family and friends. Again, Thank you for tuning in to the 10th and final episode of Nomadicate's first season. I'm your host, Katie DeVille, and I wish you a beautiful new year. Thanks for being a global citizen, and remember to stay curious.